Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. This episode of Costcast is brought to you by Hero Hair, the real wig experience. Of a Spider-Man could be almost anything, you know. People started like, well, "What my Spider-Man look like?" Mm-hmm. And I almost had to laugh as people were really enjoying this concept. And there was a good like month where people were making their own spider sonas. And I was like, "You realize that this is exactly what the furry fandom is." And welcome to Coscast. I'm William, also known as White Fan Cosplay, and with me I have. Hi, I'm Sam. I go by Momochi Cosplays. And I'm Alex, also known as Strictly Cosplay. And Sam, since this is your first time on the podcast, I usually give a little moment to have yourself introduce yourself and a little bit of how you got where you are today. <laughs> okay, um, I started cosplaying about five, almost six years ago now, when I went to my first convention, which was Boston Comic Con, now called Fan Expo Boston. Uh, over the summer, I saw the cosplayers there, and I was just like, oh my god, these are so cool. I want to dress up like characters from stuff that I love, and so I got into cosplay play and it's been all downhill from there <laughs> <laughs> what's 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 like one or two of your favorite shows to cosplay from um well um this one my hair academia <laughs> obviously and uh my favorite anime d grayman and i'm gonna add a third one which is danganronpa which mm, is very nice yeah <laughs> that's a big one You've consistently had pretty good groups for those two, which oh, is yeah. always awesome to see. So, awesome. Well, it's great to have you on. You've been actually both mine and Alex's first friend within cosplay. Yeah. So well. that's kind of a fun fact, you know. How long have we known each other? Like almost, two and almost, years. yeah, three years now. <laughs> well, <laughs> too long. <laughs> but yeah. But right now you're on spring break, which is why you're able to join us, which yes. is awesome because we've wanted to have you on for a while now, and it's cool to finally have you. So, Thank you. You're welcome. Um, we all recently went to. Um, well, not recently, but went to what? Oh, sorry. I thought you had. Oh, okay. <laughs> we <laughs> don't care about you. Yeah. I'm <laughs> Do you like raise your hand for a question? Can I, can I speak? I thought you were gonna say one thing, but I don't know what you're gonna say. So oh, keep okay. going, and then I might interrupt. <laughs> okay. <later. laughs> we'll play it out. Uh, we all went to Katsukon, and yes. okay, <laughs> cool. We're on the same track. Um, something that was um, new this year at Katsukon is that they really changed their policies on. Uh, their badges. Previously to Katsukon, um, they would basically allow you to be at any of the hotel premise and just not the actual conventions that are part of the Gaylord, which in the whole scheme of things is a very small portion. And if you've never been to Katsukon, it basically works out that the only time you would ever need your badge is to basically go to a panel or see the artist alley or dealer's room. Mm-hmm. That's it. So also the gazebo level. Yeah, if you want. No, 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 no. I'm talking before. 
Oh, before? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, and the thing about Katsukon is that one of the biggest novelties about Katsukon is all the cosplays. And some people don't mind not going to any of the panels or the dealer's room or artist alley. So a lot of people will do a little thing called lobby conning, which is going to a convention and hanging out wherever you can that does not require a badge. And at Katsukon, unfortunately, there is, um, at least unfortunately for them, there is a lot of real estate that is available to you with no badge. So Katsukon became a very a prominent uh, con that hosted a lot of lobby conning and it offers a lot of you know problems for the convention you know um, but this year they actually seeked out to drastically change that and um, at the any entrance to the hotel as a whole or any of its facilities you would need either your badge or you would need um, your um, hotel um, room key so it restricted it to only those people. And basically letting the people staying at the hotel where people go to the con anyways, because it's a big enough con where they can do that. So, um, and then they would also had extra layers like you were kind of mentioning. Um, for the gazebo area where only people with the, um, with the registration from Katsukon could actually get into and just a room key was not enough to get into. Yeah, well, they're kind of flimsy on that point. Yeah, because I understand why they were doing it, but they didn't really announce that with all the announcements that they made yeah. about this whole situation. They made it seem, at least, that if you had a room key, you'd be set to go wherever. Mm -hmm. And I think that was mostly a problem with the fact that not that people were trying to get in there that didn't buy a ticket, more so people just didn't think they needed to bring their um, badge with them. Yeah, I mean, well, if you're at KatsuCon, you're going to be most likely wearing a cosplay and you don't want to have a badge just sticking out anywhere mm -hmm. for when you're taking pictures and stuff like that. So a room key seems like it would be a little bit more easy to hide if you're going to be taking pictures or something like that, I guess. Just like it, it doesn't take away from the cosplay as much as just having your lanyard and your badge sticking out somewhere. Yeah. Another thing is that when I walked into the con, I don't know if it was just because I got there late because I didn't get there until Friday night but as soon as we walked in from the parking garage somebody stopped us and was like hey where's your room key where's your badge and we didn't have either of those mm -hmm. things yet but that made me wonder how they stopped people who were just going in through that entrance who weren't staying at the hotel and they needed to go get their badge so like they couldn't they didn't have any sort of like yeah. ability to show like no I'm part of the convention at that point right that's kind of a weird checkpoint. Yeah. <laughs> they had a specific way to go to to get to registration, but that was all the way downstairs, like on the other side of where the parking garage was. Yeah. And it was outside too. You had to go outside and yeah, then inside. Which I was kind of. I think I mentioned this on the our actual review of Katsukon because if you want to hear more, uh, excuse me, about <laughs> Katsukon specifically. Well, that was gross. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can check out our previous episode of our Katsukon recap and review. Um, but we wanted to take more time to talk about their their choices about this and uh, really making a solid claim against lobby conning, which not a lot of cons have done. And I think it's important to note that not all cons suffer for this or even have this ability to allow lobby conning because this only happens at conventions that have a host hotel. 
Um, so, for instance, anything that's held at the the main Boston Convention Center, so being PAX East or Boston Comic Con, you there's nowhere to lobby con, yeah. so not going to have that. Or anything at the Javits Center in New York, so New York Comic Con, Anime NYC, there's no lobby conning there because there's simply no lobby. There's no hotel them. connected yeah. to it, <laughs> which is another gripe for another time. Oh, yeah. yeah. So this is only a problem for, I'd say, about half the conventions because most of them do have a... Um, a host hotel, especially smaller ones. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is that lobby conning has very, f- very little to do with the price of the ticket, more so the fact that you have to pay to get places. Because I've seen very small conventions that also suffer from lobby conning. So it's not a dollar amount problem. I think it's just some people don't like paying money. Um, yeah. I mean, the funny thing is that I talked to you about it was it's, it's, uh, it's kind of like that Pikachu meme where you're like, all right, I'm gonna pay for the hotel. I'm gonna pay for my cosplay. It's gonna be great. And then they say, oh, you need to have a badge. And you're just like, what? <laughs> but it's funny. Like, I don't think that them getting rid of lobby conning at Katsukon was a bad thing at all. No, I thought it was very, very good, especially because it brought the crowds down around the gazebo area, especially. Yeah. Which, like, I could actually walk through there, like last year, which was my first Katsukon. I, you couldn't if you had somebody to find on the gazebo level. You just, you just couldn't. You had yeah. to give up. But this year, um, I don't know, it, it seems like it has a lot of benefit for the convention and for the uh, attendees that actually are like wanting to be mm-hmm. at the convention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, you know, it kind of goes without saying, they're not charging you for tickets because they want to. It's because that's what it takes to put on an event. Yeah. You know, they, they have to get the funds from somewhere. It doesn't come out of thin air. And this also goes into things like security, which, believe it or not, is actually there for your protection, you know, and yeah. things of that nature. So along with having uh, um, a more uh, regimented um, badge, um, like, checkpoints and stuff like that, they had an up security as well. That's yeah. right. I never got a bag check at Katsukon at all. Um they they didn't really check your bags it's like it was more along the lines of like being present there yeah. so like for the hotel for itself some some cons are more strict about props and bags and some aren't and i think that is actually the the non-hotel hosted ones that are more concerned about bag checks and props mm-hmm. but also this year something that i noticed compared to last year was last year when we went to the con i didn't notice that there was a prop check anywhere really mm-hmm. but this year they were very specific hey you have to go to the prop check and have yeah. everything checked out. Um, they also had a sign that said, "Don't walk around with uh, with uh, fake guns, fake yeah, fake props out in the National Harbor area, and people are walking around anyway." But is it it's. Like, I guess they tried a little bit with that sign, but at least they're more consistent with being like, hey, where's the where's your ribbon for your you know fake prop, yeah. basically? Um, overall, though, like you said, very positive things came out of doing that, and that's how it's supposed to work. They, they don't make the rules and stuff to be avoided. You know, mm-hmm. they're there for a reason. So um, it was nice to not only see them talk a big game beforehand and which had a lot of people talking some people being very thankful and some people being very upset um but them also following up with it and yeah. they did a really good job especially for the first year of doing this i think that 
there was never a time where, unless if you're talking like late Sunday night where you didn't need your badge, I felt like there's some cons that's like during the morning hours they're very strict about checking your bags, but then like towards the afternoon they're just like, whatever, you know. <laughs> so yes. I think I think yeah. uh, Boston Comic Con I find does that. They're, in the morning mm-hmm. they're really strict about badges, but then after that they're just like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's nice to see because the thing is is that when it comes down to it, every time someone checks your badge that ups the value of your badge because mm-hmm. that means that's one more person that they're stopping that didn't pay what you paid to get to this convention and yeah. I think it's important that your badge is checked and I don't think we should ever be annoyed by people checking our badges that being said there's some times where you have instances I think we came across this a little bit at um, Kineticon where sometimes they would check badges almost rudely you know, and they wouldn't do, um, like, they would pull people aside that were already in the convention, making sure that you had badges and yeah. stuff like that, which is kind of weird. Um, but that all being said, um, I think that, for the most part, bag, check- bag checks, um, badge checks are <laughs> what makes your badge worth it. Because if you've got a badge and there's no badge checks, then there's then that's when you start yeah. wondering, what's the point of getting a badge? And that's where the idea of lobby conning starts. So... Mm-hmm. At the same time, though, it was kind of funny. Um, I had a friend who basically she she never bought a badge. She went to Katsucon and lobby conned it, even though they had up security. Really? Yeah, and like she didn't have a room key on her for a lot of the convention either, even though she was staying with us. But like, even with the up security, I guess you still didn't need a badge if you played your cards right. I think she I guess. she knows how to navigate the yeah. con pretty yeah. much. Yeah, she didn't go into the like dealers hall, artist yeah. alley panels area very much. So that's fair. Yeah, if you want to access just the hotel thing, I think there's technically ways to get around it. It's like a lobby conning ninja sort of. Yeah, <laughs> sneaks right in. But I guess the point isn't how to continue lobby conning through this. I think it's the point to embrace it because especially if you're a cosplayer, you mean not embrace lobby conning. Em- embrace the like the badge checking procedures okay. and stuff. Yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> good to clarify that. Um, I think that um, especially if you're a cosplayer, when you're spending like a couple hundred dollars at least on stay and travel, at least a hundred dollars for the weekend food, um, and countless amounts of money on cosplay because that yeah. is kind of like an unsummed number that really we don't try to keep track of because it's scary. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And then you're going to tell me that you can't afford a $60 weekend badge. You know, that's that's when... Uh, and I think that that's really insulting. And I don't feel bad saying that because that's the only money that goes to the convention. All the other things, you're, you're getting yourself there. You're paying, like, the hotel uh, for the room. None of that goes to the convention. The only time they get money is when you pay for their badge. They don't get it through other avenues. Well, and I guess you could say that they get money through the, like people buying merch at the dealer's hall in the artist alley well, because the booths are paying the right, convention the booths to are be paying there. Yeah, sure. But as far as you as a person attending them, that's their only, that's their one <laughs> literal, that's their one ticket for getting yeah. any sort of money. And they're not asking a lot. You know, they they don't want to charge you a bunch for tickets because then people won't show up. Mm-hmm. So they try to price it where it matches the establishment where it's hosted at because some places are really expensive, aka the Javits and Boston Convention Center. That's why you see those tickets usually being a lot more. Um, and just generally the amount of 
requirements for staff security and the amount of uh, stuff that they have to make for it. You know, every time you see a sign, that costs money. The signs cost a lot more money than you think. You see like a random pop-up sign uh, that says like, say like dealer's hall this way. That sign probably costs like a hundred bucks. You know, like you don't you don't think about those little things that just add up to a crazy amount of what it takes to run a convention. Yeah. And to deny them that one thing that they're just asking for to help fund the entire convention, because a lot of conventions don't make money. A lot of them just mm-hmm. barely break even, you know? Yeah. So I feel like it's kind of insulting to deny them that, that small amount of money. Yeah, not to be devil's advocate, advocate here though but some people can't afford convention tickets right and but we'll there's also in. early bird though like you can it you right. can play your cards right like sometimes yeah you can't afford the con but at the same time like if you can't afford the con but you're spending so much money on a cosplay or staying at a hotel like i feel like the there's the two biggest things that you need or two or three biggest things that you need if you're going to go to a con you need money for the hotel mm-hmm. and the badge and food that's yep. the biggest things cosplay as great as it is and as important as it is at cons, it kind of has to go on the sideline if you're going to be like paying for the actual con itself. I yeah. Think. yeah, you can't put like cosplay over food. No, you can't do that. <laughs> we do it so many times, but you can't do it. But yeah, to play devil's advocate, the, the reasons why I understand that people want to do it, I think the most relatable ones is that if you're someone who is there to see like a friend mm-hmm. or is there for like, hey, I'm like working this weekend, but I have had the afternoon off and I just want to pop in to say hi and maybe see a thing or two I can understand why uh, you would think that oh it's not it doesn't make sense to buy a badge because I'm mm-hmm. only there for an hour or two or I'm just there to see a friend I think that there's more appropriate ways to do that and you know in most cases if you want to see a friend if if it if it's that big of a deal and you guys are actually friends, I feel like it's not too hard to meet somewhere just outside the convention. Yeah, yeah you whether literally stand right outside yeah. the hotel. Whether it be there, whether it be at a, a restaurant that's across the street, or just something. Like I feel like that's not as a more relatable situation. Yes, is it still a valid excuse? I still don't think so. You know, yeah. um, and like Alex was saying, I think that. Yes, uh, budgets are hard, but I think that this is something that should be in your budget and um, make sure that you plan accordingly because for the most part if you're if you could because even people who don't cosplay the people who don't buy cosplay are the usually ones to spend a lot on merch mm-hmm. you know because that's where their money's going so if you're someone who's like i've got x amount of budget to spend on merch you know you shouldn't be trying to have more money to buy merch just because you're you don't want to spend the money to buy a badge mm-hmm. like that's kind of cheating the system you it's know? kind of weird thinking about people who go to a con and they're lobby conning it and they go to the dealer's room and they're like oh, I'm gonna buy all these things but mm-hmm. then they get shocked if people are just like oh you need to have a badge or something like yeah. that or they're just like oh I don't want to spend the money on the badge because it's not worth it like you're literally in the con buying right. merch right now yeah I think Katsukon is a slightly different creature than like um, yeah. tiny cons though because yeah. Katsukon is really expensive especially if you're coming from somewhere like New England and you have to buy like a t- like a bus ticket or even mm-hmm. a plane ticket and the hotel and it just all those costs pile up a lot that sometimes people just can't afford a badge but like i still think that katsukon's like new protocol is a good thing right <laughs> i think that it definitely i'm not saying it's cheap yes. <laughs> i'm not saying oh, it's easy katsukon's never cheap especially yeah. for people who live far yeah. away and i think um the reason why i i don't see because i feel like every con has a different excuse yeah. you know for instance colossal con 
you know, you can just avoid the con entirely and just enjoy the water park aspects. And you could say that, oh, I'm just I'm just here for the water park, and that's my reason for lobby conning. Or you could say for a small convention, because I, I know people who have lobby con at small conventions. It's like, oh, there's just not a lot to see and things like that. It's like, well, like... There's even less to see if the right. con can't break yeah. even. Yeah, exactly. So um, I think that's the reason why I, I don't feel very sympathetic to people who prolifically lobby con is because I feel like there's always a different excuse for it and when it comes to a bigger convention it happens to be budget mm -hmm. you know but when it's a smaller convention and you pay 80 bucks for a hotel and it costs you a half hour drive to drive to and there's really not much cost there your excuse is something different and honestly if the con is so expensive and you're driving so far away and it's like it's too much Sometimes you just gotta bite the bullet and say, you know what, I can't go to this con. You gotta like, you know, yeah. take care of yourself first and realize what's a priority too. But also, if you're driving all that way to get to KatsuCon, why wouldn't you want to buy a badge to experience the whole con while yeah. you're yeah. there? That's true, <laughs> but, because also... They have a pretty decent dealer's hall and... Their Art Alley is so good. Yeah. yeah. It's one of the best I've seen. Not as good as Anime NYC. Yeah, we'll Anime NYC out, was amazing. <laughs> Another thing is that I personally, and maybe it's just me, but I personally don't like that over-looming feeling that that there may be like complications of you being there yeah you know and having to like dodge bullets essentially the badge of security exactly you know if i'm there i want to be there to enjoy the con and not have to worry about things like that i want to enjoy being with friends i want to enjoy cosplaying i don't want to have to deal with that thought in the back of my head i gotta watch out for security because i don't have a badge yeah. you know and maybe that's just me but like uh, I think I'm always willing to put extra money for more enjoyment of any mm -hmm. situation because that's what I'm here. I'm here to enjoy myself and I feel like sacrificing things and I think that can be said for a lot of things that you invest in. I started investing more money into hotels because I started to really enjoy being in walking distance of things. And at first, the extra price for those hotels were very intimidating, but then realizing the, the, the amount of stress and extra time that I was wasting because of those things, I realized that this is money well spent, mm -hmm. you know, and then it was infinitely worth the amount of stress that was being taken away and the amount of time that I was saving to enjoy more of the con. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I don't, I've never really lobby con, but I think that one time I kind of felt that feeling was one time I was at Classic Con East, I didn't realize that if you weren't at the the actual uh, Kalahari Resort, mm -hmm. you had to pay for a water park pass, which yeah. was like a hundred bucks a day. And that was an expense that I was not expecting. Yeah. And so what I ended up doing was I got a bracelet that was like an observer's pass, which basically allowed you to be in any of the pools or hot tubs, but not any of the rides. So I could be in there. But being in there and knowing that I couldn't really go on the any of the rides, and like also having to worry about like what if I'm not really supposed to like be in this certain area mm -hmm. I hated that that was the worst and I actually ended up going on some of the rides because they had an after pass thing where you could buy a pass specifically for that which was only like $25 so that was cool so I got to go for like the after party thing and I got to go experience some of the rides there um, but besides that that was the only time I could go on rides because yeah that was that was a lot so I understand you know when um, when that, but when that kind of money comes out, you're like, oh crap, I can't afford that. But I think that th you know, when you've got badges, you always know the expense way ahead of time. And yeah. also, yeah, pro tip, early early bird stuff. Yeah. If you if you're watching the convention, a good amount of conventions let you save like 10, 20 bucks depending on how early you buy the tickets online. Mm -hmm. And 
Also, you don't have to buy a weekend pass. That's the thing. If you want to just mm. go in for one specific day, if you're meeting a friend, as you say, you can just get maybe an earlier early yep. bird pass for one day. When I went to Rhode Island Comic Con this past year, I only got a pass for one day because I was really there more for friends because I had a lot of friends that go there. And I was there, let me clarify, I was there for friends to hang out in general, not to, I wasn't there for friends to be at the con, you know, I was there just in general to be in the area because it was uh, f oh, far away from where I normally am. Mm -hmm. um, and I bought one day because I still want to experience something at the convention, but I knew that I wanted to experience probably about one day's worth. And that was good enough for me, and I just did other stuff throughout the weekend. And that was fun. Um, so, you know, also keep those options in mind that, you know, maybe you don't always have to buy a weekend pass, or maybe you can just, you know, delay those cost plans just one con ahead so you can afford the badge. Just like, I, I think that in retrospect for where money's being spent as a cosplayer, that kind of money can be shifted it around fairly easy percentage-wise. Because, yeah, like an 80 or or $100 ticket is a lot. I'm not denying that. But when you compare it to the amount of money that people are spending on travel, hotel, and cosplays, cosplays especially, because no one really talks about how expensive cosplays are, whether you're buying them or making them, then all of a sudden, percentage-wise of how much your badge compares for your entire weekend cost, it's maybe like 20% of your cost. Yeah. Or like 15, depending on what convention you're going to. Um, so... It's like, you know, it's just like something that I think that should be properly budgeted. And I think it's, I think anyone who's listening to this that organizes a convention would really appreciate every single person actually considering buying a badge because that's really important to them, you know? Yeah. It is kind of a, a stigma. Like, I, I feel a little uncomfortable knowing that I spent like 150 or $120 on a weekend pass and then there's somebody else who's just, you know, taking a free mm -hmm. ride. Sorry. It was like, a lot of people paid a lot of money to go to the con to get tickets and then there's other people who are just you know they're like oh it's not good enough yeah me. so kind of capping this off with Katsukon taking up the, the stance on lobby Connie do you think more cons should take that stance that deal with that kind of problem yeah I think so I think um, the first example comes to mind is anime Boston I don't think that they can necessarily fight against lobby conning one because like the main convention is in a convention center like like the Javits Center. Right. It just happens to be in a mall that also has three mm. hotels connected to it. So, like, the hotels aren't part of the convention center. They're part of the mall. And so, like, I don't know how they can enforce lobby conning, except it may be the Sheraton, because mm. that's where a lot of, uh, like, convention events are. But Yeah, because they kind of utilize the other hotels yeah. for some of the panels and stuff like that. I just feel like there are so many normies that are just hanging out outside the convention center anyways that mm -hmm. they can't they can't distinguish yeah. unless someone's like in cosplay but yeah what about you what, what about you do you think more conscious imply the heavy, uh, heavier um postman on badge checking and things of that nature um i definitely want them to be consistent at least at doorways going into the con um but i don't feel like we need to have people walking around constantly within the oh, convention no. just looking and being like all right where's your badge where's your badge have all your badges out like yeah. no just you can have it somewhere and you can pull it out you don't have to have it on a lanyard sticking out of your cosplay the entire time mm -hmm. um so i don't feel like they need to be I think the biggest thing that they have to do is just be consistent at the doorways when they're letting people in. Yeah. We mentioned this when we were first talking about Katsukon. Biggest thing that we ask for is like people trying to understand the rules, especially people who are trying to obey the rules, is be consistent. Mm. That's like the main thing we're asking for. A lot of us can, even if we're annoyed by certain rules, 
we'll deal with it inevitably. But as long as you're consistent with it, then we'll be fine with it. If you're going to talk a big game about a role change and we're upset by it, but then not even 100% follow up with that role, then we're extra upset about said role change. So uh, that's why I was saying I was very grateful for Katsukon for actually um, having action behind the words that they talked, yeah. especially for how um, the division that it caused within people that were going. So, yeah. Division meant not as many people, though. So yeah, yeah it's true. So uh, and hopefully uh, they saw more money from that, and we'll continue to see more money that helps them grow. Mm -hmm. So and we'll see more cool stuff for them. So yeah. With that, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor, Hero Hair. This episode of Costcast is brought to you by Hero Hair, the real wig experience. Hero Hair creates high-definition, feature-film-grade, lace-front custom cosplay wigs, facial hair applications, and hairpiece applications directly from the cosplayer's inspired imagination. This includes full, screen-accurate reproduction pieces down to the very last discernible detail. These one-of-a-kind custom pieces are crafted by hand, specifically to the head shape, facial structures, and scalp typography of the client in order to elevate the client's wig to match the quality of the cosplay build itself and complete the transformative illusion of cosplay of the client's hero from any genre imaginable, whether it be movies, television, comics, historical, animation, and anime, and even original concepts. Our company was founded and is run by established entertainment industry wig masters and hair artisans, all currently working at the top levels of their fields. With wig and hair credits spanning feature film, television, and theaters, these elite professionals bring with them a combined total of more than 100 years of experience in crafting one of the most complex and often misunderstood aspects of cosplay, the transformative illusion of the wig, and the literal and figurative crown of cosplay. Thank you, Hero Hair, for sponsoring this episode of CosCast. This month's Hero Hair Client Feature of the Month is Casey Egan at K-A-S-E-Y underscore E-G-A-N on Instagram.com. A relatively young cosplayer on the national scene, her devotion to her hero characters is eclipsed only by her devotion to her close circles of friends who make up her egoless orbit. A soft-spoken cosplayer and artisan, Casey is a creative force whether behind her impeccable transformative illusions or simply behind you in a supportive role, for yours asking nothing in return other than an amazing experience in the art of dress-up. Thank you for being our featured client of the month and be sure to follow her. Thank you, Hero Hair, as always, for sponsoring our CosCast podcast. And with that, uh, we're going to go in for a little segment where we just talk a little about uh, a tip for cosplay. And recently, you had a really fun wig that you recently styled, and you wanted to tell us a little bit of the challenges and things you learned from that experience. Yeah, so the wig I styled was for uh, Ibuki Miyota from Danganronpa 2. She's the ultimate musician. She's kind of an airhead, and she's really funny. And her hair is, like, ridiculous. It's it's like her bangs are like blue and pink in the front and they like go out straight and she has hair cones that are like spiraled like a candy cane and she has a bunch of like white and blue streaks in her hair which is black and uh yeah so i i wanted to make this wig since before i even knew what the character was from i just saw her on the internet and i was like oh my god her hair is so cool and then i eventually got into danganronpa 2 
It's one of my favorite series now. You should definitely check it out. Um, and so I made this wig finally. I had already made one in the past for a commission, but to keep cost downs, I had bought a character wig and just uh, altered it a little bit. So I like gave it new uh, cone horns and I added wefts and I styled the bangs. But I still wanted to try to make one from scratch. So what I did was I got a bunch of materials from Arda Wigs. I got a Jareth Long in black. I got long wefts in pure white and indigo blue. And I got short wefts in hot pink. And so um, one thing that I learned from this experience is that, well, I already knew this. I can't sew. So <laughs> I... So... <laughs> um, so I, what I did was I knew that a lot of people hand stitch the wefts into wigs, but I couldn't do that because I didn't know how. I learned that hot glue is really messy, but it's very quick and effective for adding wefts to wigs. Um, you just end up with a lot of like the hot glue spider webs, but those come out really easily. They don't stick to the wig fibers, but they do stick to like the end of the weft, which is what you need to attach. But um, I was warned by a friend who told me that if you have a lot of hot glue in a wig and it sits on your forehead, your forehead gets really hot. And so um, it might melt the hot glue into your wig cap and into your hair, which is suboptimal. <laughs> so uh, she suggested that I put duct tape over where the wefts are, which I'm going to do very soon. And I'm going to wear this wig to PAX, hopefully if the costume comes in by the convention. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. A uh, very detailed wig. Well, for sure. Thank you. <laughs> Throw out your tag again, just so if people want to see and they forget it's it. Momochi Cosplays, like, at Momo, like M-O-M-O-C-H-I underscore cosplays on Instagram. And I also have a Facebook page, Momochi Cosplays, but I don't use it. And I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, it's so hard to keep up with all the social networks. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Instagram is oh. my go-to. Mm. Yeah, I think that is typically the, the go-to for most cosplayers. Most people, they usually ask Instagram. Instagram, not like Twitter or Facebook, because mm -hmm. Facebook yeah. feels like more the like reach reg is regular horrible. people. Yeah, yeah. Oh. you know TikTok. You know, <laughs> that's a whole Dude. other can of worms. TikTok <laughs> loves cosplayers. Let me tell you. But I've had friends who've jumped on TikTok and they're like, "I got ten thousand followers in like a week." And I'm like, "Excuse me, what?" Yeah. <laughs> so, but also be aware of the crowd that you're going for, which is like. Yeah, no. Six to twelve year olds. <laughs> I'm not a fan of their legal policy either, personally. Oof, yeah, they're pretty strict on some of their content, so. But anywho, that's a topic for another day. The topic for today is actually following up on an episode that we talked about in the first season, being the second episode called Controversial Fandoms. And recently, Sam pitched the opportunity to go to a uh, furry convention in our area, and I thought that'd be a lot of fun. And also, it'd be a lot of fun to use that experience to kind of add more to that conversation that we had and have a conversation about um, the furry fandom specifically, but also how we view fandoms as a whole. And uh, before we get into it, we have a little uh, clip that we put together, uh, plus a, a little bit of our first thoughts right after the fact uh, with myself, Sam, and a couple of our friends who also with us. So watch that. Everybody, everybody, 
All right, so we're here getting food. We just got out of the, the Anthro New England con. What you guys think? Uh, super refreshing con. Uh, everyone had such a positive vibe about themselves. People were literally like, hey, you want a hug? And someone was like, please. Like, <laughs> please. The, yeah. Hug like, and someone asked me for just a hug, not even a photo, just a hug. And like, that's pretty much the overall vibe everyone had was just like kindness, politeness. For sure. I actually volunteered with the con to, oh, uh, yeah, for, <laughs> um, I volunteered on security. So because I just wanted to see the con on a Saturday instead of a Sunday and it was fantastic. I mean, everybody was polite. I just really enjoyed the time there and I enjoyed meeting so many people. I went strictly because I wanted to wear this cosplay because I thought it was going to do well there. And it did. It, it did. Holy it crap. Really I, well. I've and never taken more pictures. Yeah. Um, the I, show hasn't even started yet. And uh, I know people. Oh my God. Um, yeah, but overall, I went in with no expectations. But it, it was just amazing. Everybody, like recent was super sweet and accepting and there weren't like there were no creepy interactions which I was I was mostly worried about um, so sorry I, I think the furry fandom gets a lot of like bad reputation oh, they're actually for, awesome uh -huh. like, right and it's not like the things people might make fun of a furry for they were present and it, it didn't matter it was fine the whole thing yeah, was great because everyone was just so sweet that it, like yeah. how could you hate on or make fun of someone when they're ultimately just enjoying the same thing that you are in a different form especially seeing that they're in person and a really fun perspective. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, the first quality there was insane. Yeah. It's like seriously talented people. Um, Quick last question. Would you guys ever consider getting a persona? Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm already slightly... And that was not your opinion going into this. No. Yeah, no. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. So, very cool. So, everyone go to a furry con. Yes. <laughs> Check it out. It's a great time. It was a good time. And we're back. <laughs> I would just like to preface this conversation with the fact that I am not a furry. <laughs> I was true. going for other reasons. Yeah. Because there's a really awesome show coming out. You should all check it out. It's on YouTube by the artist Vivzy Pop called Has Been Hotel. They've only released like clips of the show. It hasn't actually come out yet, but I cosplayed the main character, Charlie, who's the princess of hell. Um, <laughs> and so... Uh, Vivzy Pop, the creator of Has Been Hotel, is a very famous furry animator, so I figured it would be really fun to wear this cosplay to a furry convention, because I thought it would do really well there, and that's and when I contacted it was, him. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and you were right, by the way. Holy crap. I wasn't sure. I was like, okay, that's a good idea. I'm not sure if it'll pan out, but sure, because yeah. I had also never been to a furry convention. Um, and um, myself, uh, to clarify, I, I consider myself a furry. Neither of you two don't. No. Uh, you, you're a little bit more familiar with the fandom as you've had friends within it, and then you've yeah. also been to a furry convention now. Mm -hmm. um, so um, what was, um, now that you've had a little bit of time, because this was like a month ago when we went to it, um, now that it's had some time to sit, what is your thoughts that wasn't stated before about this convention? Um... Oh man, it's hard to remember back to like what I was feeling in the moment, but like <laughs> when I walked in, it I was a little bit on edge. I was like, what are these people going to be different. like? Let's be honest, when you yeah. walk in, it's different. Because well, it was also very small. It was like, and it was also only like 20 minutes away from my school. So I had gone, got there by myself. Well, no, no, I didn't go by myself. I went with my friend Max. Um, <laughs> we went and we walked in and it was, it was small, and there were only like two people in fursuits in the lobby, and I was like, what is this? <laughs> 
<laughs> but then as the day went on, it just kept getting more and more comfortable because it kept feeling more and more just like a regular anime mm-hmm. or comic convention. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's. It, I was also very taken aback about how different it seemed at first, and then once you warmed up to it, I was like, it's just normal stuff. Yeah. You know? Um, we we kind of mentioned the video, but overall, the, the vibe and atmosphere was very, very friendly, mm-hmm. and not in a creepy way. Um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't have a single creepy interaction. I had a lot of wonderfully friendly interactions with people who really loved my cosplay. I made, or uh, <laughs> my friend Max and I, who were both cosplaying from Has Been, made uh, two people cry, actually, <laughs> from... <laughs> being so excited to see our cosplay and that just like warmed my heart a little bit that's how you know you're winning at cosplay yeah when you make someone cry (laughs) (laughs) don't take that the wrong way (laughs) oh man um i think uh something that was also uh really cool was just um i think a lot more people were into and i mean like there's some cons that have more of this than others but a lot uh, a lot of like interaction was going on yeah. here this was a very community heavy i uh, think sure you had what they call the dealer's den mm-hmm. um there um instead of the dealer's room um and i'm sure that's a lot of places where i actually got this this take tap from a place called kraz dude uh, C-R-A-Z dude you can check them out online um, very friendly uh, people there and awesome merch and I was happy to buy some merch from a furry convention because I don't really have anything to represent but um, your furriness yeah my furriness one thing that struck me a lot about that dealer's hall was that when I walked in well the first booth that you see is furry body pillows no, which was true. what oh. <laughs> which is like when I first walked in I was like oh I was expecting this but then as you walk around the rest of the dealer's hall it was really just that booth and one other booth in the back that had anything that was sexual right and that one in the back was also curtained off because it was specifically like hey there's 18 plus stuff over here Mm -hmm. and it wasn't like a huge thing it was just tapered off in the corner with some curtains and then that's that every other booth in the place was perfectly innocent yep and there were a lot there were actually for donating to animal shelters which i thought was amazing a lot of like stuff for good causes they're like hey if you buy these like we saw like dyson uh, like buttons that were like anything that you purchase this goes directly to this fund and several other places that were uh having things for donations for certain um animal related um projects or just you know services in general and i think that was really cool and something that you actually don't see a whole lot at conventions so again really inferring more of a community aspect to the convention which is awesome um but overall we had a really good time i think if anything i wish i was there for a second day simply because i wish i was more warmed up to the atmosphere and wanted to like interact with more new people and stuff yeah. like that because i feel like i had just enough time to get acclimated and then we left you know yeah <laughs> so. i'd also one thing that struck me after the convention that i started thinking about was how furries are basically no different than cosplayers and how like after being there yeah. sexual like furry art is only about as common or maybe even less common than hentai at anime conventions because yeah that definitely exists let's yeah. not excuse that especially like lowly hentai like that's mm. borderline pedophilia yeah in my opinion <laughs> i realize it's not the same thing but um like 
when when you think about it, furries are basically just cosplayers, but they're cosplaying their own OCs that happen to be anthropomorphic animals. Yeah. There's nothing inherently creepy or sexual about that at all. No, not at all. There's nothing that implies that. And we'll get to this aspect a little bit more later, but there's certain other reasons that have implied a heavier sexual undertone to yeah. this whole fandom. Um, but while we're still on the topic of the convention specifically, Alex is someone who didn't go and didn't experience <laughs> this with us. What is there any questions that pops in your head about that you have for us about something that may be different for this compared to a different convention? I have to cough. <laughs> <laughs> didn't know if I wanted to cut okay. that. <laughs> um, not really. I wouldn't say like it. I, again, I'm not exactly. Yeah, I'm not a furry, so I'm yeah. not really interested in that kind of convention per se. Yeah. and like it. At first, cosplay was pretty jarring to me when I first went into it. Like, it was so different seeing so many people wearing different things, like wigs and mm -hmm. all this makeup, and they look completely different without it and that sort of thing. Um, so, I think it would be kind of jarring for me to go there and see all these people with large animal heads just walking around, smiling the entire time. Like, I think, um, like, fursuits or... Um, uh, what was the name of a mascot? Mascots mm -hmm. in general, like they have the same face the entire time, which is a little disturbing to me. So I don't know if I'd work well in that <laughs> con. I just feel like it was being stared yeah. at the entire time. We actually saw one furry that had a mouth that moved yeah. while, while they That's were talking. That's more disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Because yeah. it's just like the mouth is moving the entire time, but the eyes are staying the same. That's so true. Well, it's, oh. what's interesting is that some fursuits, it's a fairly common practice to use a style of eyes that always look like yeah. they're looking at you. Yeah. No matter where you're uh, <laughs> see, that sort of thing just it it probably wouldn't rub me the right way. I'd say mm. so. Well, you've you've definitely seen fursuits at anime, and I mean, they were even at Katsukon. Um, uh, so, yeah, I saw one or two. Yeah. So it's like it's not oh, like I didn't seen it before. I didn't look at them for very long. I tried to walk away quickly. <laughs> not a fan. No, it's no. I'm just joking. I like again. I'm not particularly a fan, so it doesn't really affect me the same way like it would you like you see mm -hmm. it is like it's really cool that people are so passionate about something that they've created like their original characters and they actually make their fursuits themselves like looking at those they're extremely detailed and I like I don't know how that would work I'm I'm not a sore either so I don't understand how people are able to sew anything much less fursuits that make the, they look so seamless mm -hmm. yeah like they just go from one color to the next and it just looks like it fits all together I don't don't know how they do that and I you've got some sorry you've got some fursuits that even make the appearance of your body look different so like a very common practice is to have this style of leg that make it look like it's more like the knees are more jotted out mm -hmm. kind of but in reality you're still standing up straight it's just the way that they've packed yeah. the fur and it really makes it more and like that's super crazy too you know yeah. just going more into the, the detail and like the crazy amount of skills that's required to make these fursuits it's really impressive I yeah. was about to bring up the exact same thing oh, really? about the legs yeah <laughs> <laughs> I also wanted to mention, like, furries get such, like, um, like, the fursuit makers are, like, always what people think of when they think of, like, oh, it's a furry, but I want to take a moment to appreciate furry artists, mm -hmm. because I got to see so many at the furry convention, and they are so talented with what they do. Every single artist was, like, so amazing and, mm -hmm. like, breathtaking, and 
I, yeah, yeah I, I just feel like we need to appreciate furry artists more. It is seriously <laughs> impressive. I really, really enjoyed looking at the art. And as, as someone who's actually in the, the fandom and community, I think it's what's important to mention is that a lot of people, when they think furries, they think fursuiters specifically, which in itself is a small percentage of the fandom, not by choice, but because the amount of money and skills required to have a fursuit is a lot. So either mm -hmm. you have to be very skilled and still have a decent amount of money to make a fursuit, um, or you have to have a lot of money to get a fursuit from someone, which not a lot of people have because, and what I mean by this is like, not even me who spends hundreds on cosplays because for fursuits, you're looking to spend in the thousands yeah, for that, cosplays. Yeah, that head that you tried on that came with the paws and the tail, that was going for $1,800, I think. Wow. It wasn't even a full fursuit, it was the yeah. head, the paws, and the tail. But yeah, that's... Because <laughs> yeah, the amount of time it's spent on them and fur is not cheap, Yeah, even synthetic fur. So um, it, it takes, it takes a lot to, to make those. And the upkeep must be insane too, trying to take care of that thing after a con. It must soak up like a lot of sweat. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. there's lots of measures taken to to taper off that. Like people will wear like athletic, you know, like yeah. stuff to, like compression stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then also some people will actually have like fans inside the head specifically mm -hmm. to keep them cool. Because especially if you can keep your head cool, it helps cool the rest of your body down too. Yeah. So if you have room for a small fan in there. And other cosplayers will do this too with big suits as well um, so it's not like too different from that my dad has two fans that are in his Aku cosplay <laughs> oh yeah nice um, yeah, he definitely needs it wearing all that black oh, oh yeah. for sure um, I kind of actually got off track but uh, going back to the the art part of it so very small percentage are actually fursuiters because the the money uh, boundary so the majority of the fandom actually is you know when you see them interact online it's mostly about the art because that's what the fandom is if you weren't sure what a fur exactly is it's just a fandom that's based around anthropomorphic art and so art is extremely important to the community and as you can see at the the convention is extremely impressive and something that's really great is that art is even more important um, to us because of the OC original character, our fursonas, um, a little bit more personal attachment, a common practice for a furry is to get art of that drawn for them. Yeah. And that's really exciting, you know, because it's like, imagine having your favorite character drawn for you like but except that like the, the your favorite character was also a piece of you mm -hmm. like so it's even that little extra layer and so every time you get someone who draws like art of you like it's super fun and super exciting and the amount of talented people in the the furry community for art is just insane people make livings off of making fursuit off of making uh fursona art and just lots of things within that and um I think it's that's that's also an aspect that's not really talked about is how many people that's actually their careers is essentially yeah. being a furry you know <laughs> that exists so I actually had a um, my best friend growing up's cousin was my first interaction with like the innocence of furry conventions mm -hmm. because like we're gonna talk about later I had a very uh, not so innocent introduction to furries um, <laughs> but uh, my best friend's cousin said or she was like a fursuit commissioner when she was in like middle school and the stuff she was making was insanely cool mm. 
Yeah, and I was like, wait, furries, I thought, were a sex cult. Yeah. Why is this 11-year-old girl doing fursuits? Yeah. <laughs> and let's, let's actually uh, go into it now and why we think that, like, how this all started. Uh, there's many things that have, you know, started this whole thing of alternative motives and what it actually is. One of the main things that I think contributes to it is that um, most fandoms surround a certain piece of media, whether it be a movie or TV show or something along those lines, or whether it be a book. Um, so there's, like, a source for it. Um, however, the furry fandom doesn't have an exact, well, so exact source as it has a more vague art form. Mm -hmm. And so when people are trying to understand, especially people who are like geeks, trying to understand this group of people, um, and they don't have a thing to point to as to what they're so obsessed about, they start to go point in other directions. Yeah. And they've pointed in some very different directions. And I think a good example of this is that we see this kind of in people who are anime fans. Because mm -hmm. people who are fans of anime aren't usually just fans of one or two shows. They're a fan of a lot of shows with anime. Yeah. And a lot of people, and I think this has long since been gone, thankfully, but a lot of people originally would view people who are obsessed with anime as people who are obsessed with Henry being yeah. the, the very sexual side of that fandom, which exists in just about every fandom, but it's always a minority. And I think that's also to be, to be very clear. Like, that's the minority and solidly minority. Like, we're looking at 5 to 10% here at most. So, like, I think it's important to, like, put that in perspective. You know, people like to point out the 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 weird people, you know, yeah. but that doesn't make the majority of I actually them think that hentai at anime conventions is more popular because it's more normalized yeah. than, uh, mm -hmm. like, sexual furry art. Also, like, it's very easy for people to, like, directly understand the contrast mm -hmm. between anime and hentai because you can just show someone how Full Metal Alchemist is very different than, like, Boku no Pico. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, for, like, for what are you going to show? So, like, sure, there's, like, things that we are we're inspired by, you know, I think one of the earliest examples is the animated Disney Robin Hood as yeah. one of the first examples of things that the fandom is based off of. And you have more recent examples like Zootopia, you know, yeah. things of that you can point to, but it's not like we're just fans of like, we're not a fandom of Zootopia or Robin Hood. Yeah. We're a fan of that art form, just kind of like how anime fans are a fan of anime and not just like My Hero Academia, you know. Mm -hmm. um, other things that contributed to this is some popular uh, mainstream things have been made about misconceptions of um, about the furry fandom. The most infamous is the CSI episode that you were alluding to earlier yeah. that was aired, I think, in... 2003. 2003, yeah. And this is... And I think that that definitely had a bigger impact than people realize, because I think that's when I started to hear my initial things about furries. And I was not a furry back then, but just hearing the general opinion of what those type of peoples are. And I think it's also important to note of what show it was because CSI especially during 2003 was a huge show it was one of the most watched shows on television any given night so you can guarantee that just about every parent was watching CSI and the thing about CSI is that that's also a show that has constant reruns mm -hmm. so it's not even about the fact of when it first aired it's about when you see it again or people who like watching the whole seasons they'll see it multiple times and <laughs> There's probably examples of it playing recently. I, I watched it on on demand. It was on on demand. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, that's what I saw it on today. <laughs> yeah, um, and then you saw a little recap too, so you got I a did. Little, yeah, yeah, it was uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, as someone who has been introduced to the episode for the first time, what was your like thoughts on that? Just I was I was glad I didn't watch the entire episode. I'll say that at least. Yeah, but uh, no, it felt like 
it, it, it seemed a lot like people who might be having an outside opinion of cosplayers. Yeah. Like they don't yeah. they don't have the right idea, I'd say. Like they can see some people who might be dressing up and then there's a lot of like sexual cosplayers or like cosplayers who have something that's a little more revealing, they'd be like, Oh, that's what it is basically. Yeah. And they might just say it's just that. Mm-hmm. Or just like it's such a small minority of people who might do something that's a little bit different from what the majority is a lot of the time. So it, yeah, I definitely feel, felt like they didn't have enough evidence or they didn't really do their research on it, I guess. But I was also watching a recap from someone who was a furry who was explaining it better. Mm-hmm. So that I think that helped me a little bit. It helped me to understand it a little bit better as opposed to just being... Just witnessing see, it. Just, just, being just, like, oh. yeah, you just watch the show. You're just like, oh, yeah, I don't want, I don't want to go anywhere near something yeah. like that. But yeah. Um, yeah, it was just such a small minority and they, they took it the wrong way and... Yeah, basically. You know, I think I think it's funny because some people will get the impression, well, it's on CSI, so it must be true. But then you think about it, it's like, wait, no, that doesn't sound right at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's a TV show. Yeah, exactly. None of the murders actually happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I think yeah, it's, it's very disappointing because a lot of things depicted in the... In fact, I would say about 90% of the stuff that was said about furries in the episode was grossly wrong. Mm-hmm. And like... Literally, just about every aspect about it, even down to the fursuits. They weren't even fursuits. They were, like, basically mascot suits because they basically... Because fursuits are legitimately so expensive, in order to keep the cost of the show low, they probably just went for the cheaper version being a mascot suit, Mm -hmm. which, let's be real here, very different because a big difference is that a lot of the things surrounding of what they thought furries are had to do around animals specifically. These meaning, like, spiritual things. Like, these people think they're animals. Not true. Like, that's... That group does exist, but it's not furries. Like, that's a different, like, group entirely. Furries do not think that they're animals. They do not think they're spiritually animals. They're not trying to awaken some animal spirit within them. None of that. And there was a lot of that in the episode, which was really weird. Um, and there was it, stigmatism against certain animals, like furries looking at other animals. And yeah, like, oh, yeah. there's a raccoon <laughs> guy. We don't, we don't talk to him. He's trashy. It's like, <laughs> what? Yeah, like... <laughs> yeah. When that stuff came in, I just started laughing. I was like, wow, this is really what we think we're like. This is ridiculous. Um, also, what they thought was funny is that the, the person that you're like was giving you the recap mention is like, yeah, in a perfect world show, we would have a more diverse group of animals. But when it comes down to it, most, most furries are either you know wolves or foxes for the most part. Like, it's and mostly canines. Dinosaurs yeah. or something, or not dinosaurs, dragons. I'm like, wait, you do dragons too? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My uh, like, best friend's cousin made a dragon. How do you realize really dragons cool. fell under the furry, considering they don't really have fur? That yeah, that, I think that they are like, so there's other subcategories within the furred fandom that like for instance like, like scalies dra- yeah like scalies yeah. oh this is an actual no, thing that is oh actual- crap <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that because <laughs> I, like, I just came up with something clever oh I didn't yeah um, but for the most part those can still fall under the umbrella of furry but then if you want to get more specific then you can call that subcategory group you know scalies for a more accurate depiction but you know this still consider even though it doesn't have the furry attribute you know um, speaking of furry um, fur itself has nothing to do with the furry fandom you know like I'm sure there's people out there who are obsessed with fur but that makes nothing of what the fandom is despite it being the name of the fandom in fact I I think fur would make like is one of the more aggravating parts of the fandom (laughs) because you have to keep it so clean and it's so hard to work with I've I've worked with fur and it gets everywhere when you cut it Mm -hmm. I mean have you owned a cat (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah like if that was the case if it was just 
like, oh, people who love fur, then you just see people walking around with fur coats the entire time. I don't know yeah. if that's a thing at and, the con, And the thing but. is, yeah, if you're obsessed with fur, you wouldn't have fur suits because you're literally in contact with zero fur. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the fur is on the outside of you. Like, there's there's nothing to, like, if you're obsessed with fur, I feel like you'd be interacting with these people outside a fursuit, if anything, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's so many misconceptions and so many things that were just just not even close to being correct about the fandom, and it's like no wonder why people have you know false uh, idea about what furries are when you've got representations like this in the media. Yeah, that's going back to what Alex said about um, like cosplayers. Like, if cosplay and anime had like this this one concrete media um, example of what cosplay is, then I feel like we would all have this massive stigma around us just as regular cosplayers like for instance I have a friend at college who was trying to get into cosplay so I showed her a few cosplayers but really I only showed her Jessica Negri and she immediately was like why are girls so over sexualized in their cosplays and I'm like no 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 that's just her don't get me wrong I love Jessica Negri she is a goddess <laughs> but that's but just her style that's just yeah. what she does but just showing my friend Jessica Negri she was suddenly like all cosplay girls are so over sexualized and I'm like you can literally mm. see that opinion being formed before you yeah. like oh no 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 yeah no <laughs> yeah. yeah just show her your Instagram and you cosplay like a lot of like male versions of characters too yeah I I yeah looting myself is not my style <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, especially when we, you know, like like I said at the beginning, when you think furry, you think someone in a fursuit. But most people who are furries don't have fursuits. I certainly don't have a fursuit, and I don't know if I'll ever have one, simply because it's just so dang expensive, and that's a lot of money to invest in something. And I think that when it comes to when talking about thousands of dollars, there's other things I'd probably get before a fursuit. Yeah. Like a car, like, you know? Like a new a computer, con? maybe a, a nice down payment on a house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mm. Fursuit house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but for the most part, uh, furries are people who just really enjoy the art. And not even all uh, furries have fursonas, but most of them do. And that's part of the fun aspect of, about it, of making your own character, which is interesting because in the cosplay uh, area, OCs are almost frowned upon. You know, yeah. people don't like seeing OCs. They like seeing other characters and seeing how close you can get to them. Because cosplay is more about accuracy. Yeah. Well, it's cosplay. Like you're playing a character mm -hmm. that people might recognize for yeah. the most part. I mean, OC characters are are, are good. Like they're fantastic. Absolutely. But, um, if you want to get recognized or if you want to like connect with someone, it's a little bit more difficult if you're just going to do an OC character. Like mm -hmm. connecting with people at cons usually uh, has uh, you cosplaying the same. Thing or cosplaying a character that you both appreciate from like a show. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is that like the only reason to do an OC if you're in cosplay specifically is for yourself, mm -hmm. you know, and it's because it's something that you purely enjoy, and I think that's important. Like you're not doing it for attention whenever you're doing an OC, you know. Yeah. Um, so when people are doing first, they're doing their personas and their OCs, they're not doing it for attention, you know. They're doing it because this is something that they really enjoy, and they're making a character that really fits them, and I think mm -hmm. that's really unique. It's something that we don't see in hardly any other fandom to this extent, yeah. you know. Um, What's interesting is that with the release of Spider-Man into the the multiverse, Spider-Verse, Spider-Verse, I was, I was like, I was like stumbling. I was like, I'm already getting this wrong. Um, people started creating uh, 
spider sodas yeah. where they make their own version of Spider-Man. It's like, well, like since we've now been normalized to this idea of like, Spider-Man can be almost anything, you know, people started like, well, what would my Spider-Man look like? Mm-hmm. And I almost had to laugh as people were really enjoying this concept and there was a good like month where people were making their own spider sodas. And I was like, you realize that this is exactly what the furry fandom is. Like there's, there's no difference to what you guys are doing here and what yep. the furry fandom is. However, people would scoff at furries and people would think that this spider sona like, community is awesome. Yeah, you know? people might be sexualizing their spider sonas too <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh man those are any easier to be sexual in either than fursuits either yep. too so um i think uh so there's a you know we've we've covered a lot about the misconceptions i think what's great though is that in the past year especially since the last time we talked about this on the podcast is that there's been a lot of positive representations positive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, representations of phrase in the media um first off i think uh, pretty shortly after uh, the podcast uh we had an episode from a show called uh lucifer um which interestingly enough made by the same executive producer um, from the CSI episode I to this episode. I wonder if he's a furry. <laughs> now, that would be a plot <laughs> twist. Uh, he's got the money for it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, let me see if I can find the name that I, uh, that I found. It was called Boo something. Jerry Bruckmeyer. Oh, so I thought you meant the episode. Sorry. No, no. Yeah, no. Um, Jerry Boomeyer. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. I, I tried to reach out to him, but he doesn't look like he's been active on social media for six months. Um... Um, but I don't know if he had any control over the creative aspects of including furries in either episode and what decisions that he had about that. Uh, what I will say is that in this episode of Lucifer, very contrasted difference. First off, right off the bat, I did some research and I found out that they had casting calls for actual furries to take part in this convention scene that they had at it. So they were interested in getting authentic furries and fursuits. First and foremost, that is the best move they could have done. Secondly, when they started talking about furries, right off the bat, they talked about, hey, most furries are like, literally, yeah. most furries aren't sexual. In fact, most of them are like, are wholesome. And that's about it. Like, and they're just like having a good time. Like, that's it. And like, like the fact that they put that first and foremost was like really yeah. awesome. Like, like almost as like to really clear the air almost poignantly. And I thought that was really cool that they, it, it almost felt like they were really trying to reach out specifically with those false pretenses in mind to change people's minds, which is really cool. Um, unfortunately, Lucifer doesn't have have the same stature of CSI did back in the day. I think most TV shows really don't have that same stature because TV shows yeah. back in the early 2000s had a lot more viewerships yeah. than these days. Now people just watch podcasts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all, all these darn podcasts. How dare. <laughs> uh, but also besides that, um, which uh, if you want to see that clip and what that entails and what a cool job they did with that, you can search for Lucifer. Um, I think it was season 3, episode 25. Also known as Boo Normal. Uh, so if you search on YouTube, you can find the clip on there on YouTube. And um, But also we saw um, a gamer by the name of Sonic Fox who was a, uh, who's a furry who won um, the best esports gamer of the year. Um, and he actually a- accepted his award in a partial fursuit as well. And so he had like a speech when he was giving a partial fursuit. And so that got a lot of media attention and a lot of positive media attention. It's like, hey, this is a, like, this guy seems pretty normal. It's like, yeah, no duh. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, and I think that was really cool. And more recently, just a few weeks ago, we had um, Anthony Padilla, who is one of the original founders of Smosh. Um, he made a video about uh, furries and sitting down and interviewing a bunch of furries and was his mind was like very much changed about what he thought about it and I was looking at the comments and a lot of people were cha had changed minds about the whole thing as they were explaining what it means to be a furry and their whole process of their fursonas and if anything it was a lot more just like curiosity of like wow this is actually kind of cool you mm -hmm. know and that was a lot of fun to watch I thought it was really funnily um, edited and everything it definitely look it up it was a lot of fun to watch um, but I think more and more we're seeing um, more positive representation of furries in the yeah. media, which is really cool to see because I feel like, uh, you know, it's it, it's a lot of undeserved hate. And I think that, you know, taking this into a, like a larger conversation is that, you know, we're talking about furries as one of the more extreme examples about fandoms getting hate, but it's not the only one that gets an unfair amount of hate or just hate in general for no reason. Mm -hmm. um, what are some other examples you could think of that, like, of fandoms that are unfairly judged, essentially? Um, well, I mean, an anime fandom, I guess, gets... Or, okay, wait. Fandoms that get hate, specifically, I think, are, like, Homestuck and Voltron. Mm. Uh, and maybe Undertale a little bit. Um, but, like, I sometimes get, not hate, but just, like... Shade. <laughs> shade. Just like, oh, you're a cosplayer? That's cool. They they see what I do and they're like, oh, wow, that's really cool art. But they have no idea what it is. Yeah. It just, it doesn't get like a, I support you. That's an awesome decision to go in that direction with your life. It gets like a don't quit your day job kind of a vibe. Yeah. <laughs> that's nice, dear. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think a lot of times there's a lot of people, especially who have more professional careers, who have to almost hide the fact that they cosplay which yeah. is really weird because cosplay is very normal and is viewed very highly by many people mm -hmm. but there's still some places that don't even see cosplay as a um, as like I don't want to say normal thing because I mean it is a form of escapism yeah like you get to wear the clothes and look like somebody else for a day and escape your own life right but then uh, who's against Halloween dress up yeah, you know? know, so this is taking that there's differently. A, there's but. a difference there because Halloween people aren't like, oh my god, I'm suddenly a pirate because I dress like a pirate. There are people yeah. that are like, <laughs> like oh, I'm get gonna, into it. I'm gonna LARP as Darth Vader because I look <laughs> like Darth Vader. Yeah, how do you look like Darth Vader? You just you need to have the armor, though. Yeah, I saw one really cool Darth Vader cosplayer right on Comic Con a few years ago that had like a projectile voice speaker and like you could hear him breathing the whole time. It was really cool. Definitely <laughs> Sorry. Have to hear Darth Vader breathing. Yeah. yeah, I think a couple other things that are semi-related to cosplay that also get a lot of hate within the geek community is LARPers because you mentioned that maybe thought, yeah. but also D and D. I think both of those things are being brought into a more positive light, especially D and D because. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons used to be the uh, as like the geeks and that whole like of what people thought was more normal okay and things that were not mm -hmm. D&D was like the epitome of the bottom of that yeah. of what people thought was the nerdiest of the geekiest of things that you could potentially mm -hmm. do and that only people who played D&D was 40 year old people who are still living with their parents yeah. you know? or 12 year olds who had new friends in their basement yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think some besides like the obvious examples of like Critical Role and the Adventure Zone I think another thing that helped with uh, normal 
analyzing D&D was actually Stranger Things, mm. even though it was yeah. a very small part of like the first episode, though they do call the monsters Demogorgons the whole time. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, like just having these kids playing Dungeons and Dragons, it makes it seem like it's a normal game. Yeah. It's not like something that only nerds do. And I think it's just those little examples of being like, hey, look at this thing. Look at it as it is in real life being normal, you know, yeah. and not that big of a deal. Um, and just those little nods in mainstream media go a long way, mm-hmm. you know? That five-minute segment on Lucifer goes a long way, you know? That 10-minute video that Anthony Padilla did, you know, that goes a long way, you mm-hmm. know? And I think that people undervalue what it means to, uh, once you're finding out that your opinions have changed, actually speaking up about those groups. Yeah. You know? For sure. Um, for you, sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned Homestuck earlier. Um, if if you want to know more about that fandom, in our first episode, we actually had someone who was a part of the Homestuck fandom yeah. uh, who talked extensively about that um, alongside of myself talking about my experiences within the furry fandom. So if you're interested in hearing about that, definitely give that episode a listen to uh, because I didn't know a lot about the Homestuck fandom and I didn't really have any hate per se, but I wasn't exactly very inclined to think very highly of them, you yeah. know, because I've heard rumors about them. So I didn't like have any strong opinions about them, but I definitely wasn't go about to like um, be like, oh wow, you're homestuck. You know, that's so cool. So it was really nice to have an informed opinion about it and know someone who's like that. It's like, yeah, this is like, this is totally cool. You know, <laughs> so um, is there any examples that you could think of, Alex, of For like fandoms? Yeah. Um, not many that come to mind, honestly. I think you already mentioned them, mostly like anime uh, fans, I guess, and other smaller anime or mm. TV shows that people are just like, oh, you like that show or you like that game? Well, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah oh, you, I mean, you do what you want to do, but oh. you do you, but I'm going to be over here. Yeah. There's always controversy with like shows that are seen of as being bad. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head. Yeah, well, I mean, like, you can always have, like, that infamous thing of, like, you watch something that's totally fine, but then your parents walk in on that one questionable scene the worst somehow. Part, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, your parents, based off of that one scene, is not okay with what you're watching. You say, like, but it was that one scene. Yep. Oh, man. That happens so much. I think it kind of, kind of sums up of how... It's like they have a radar coming on the worst time possible for watching something. <laughs> right here. <laughs> they know. Yeah. It's like it's like going to the bathroom break and like missing the plot twist of yeah. a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Except it's fine because you can go back and you're like, oh, okay, that's that. Yeah. But <laughs> first impressions are a pretty big deal, especially for parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when I was in eighth grade and I first started watching Fairy Tale, which doesn't have a lot of fan service, but it definitely has it. And my mm. parents always seemed to walk in when it did. <laughs> but they knew their yeah. spider sense was tingling. Their um, their hentai sense. <laughs> Speaking of parents, uh, I think the one thing cool that, w- that we forgot to mention about the convention itself was the fact that there was a lot of families involved yeah. as a whole, which you don't see at a lot of conventions. Mm-hmm. You know, you had a lot of there were grandparents that yeah. were taking their grandchildren there. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was really cool to see because you don't see a lot of family interaction at conventions, and you definitely had uh, not a ton, but a decent amount that was noticeable to us as yeah. people who were attending there, and like. 
that's new, but welcome. Yeah. You know, like, I, nothing is more wholesome than see a whole family get into a convention. Oh, yeah. You know, I see your parents get into the cosplays and stuff like that, and that's that's awesome. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that's always great to see. And you always want more of that, too. Like, if you see families cosplaying together, you're just like, that's 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 positive. That's 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 tight. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's tight, man. Yeah. I like it. I also feel like we go to more anime conventions a year than comic conventions. Mm-hmm. Like, there's really only Fan Expo, Granite Con, and Rhode Island. Um, and so, like, at Comic-Cons, I feel like there are a lot more kids because kids like superheroes mm. versus anime-cons, where anime is a bit more mature, besides, like, Pokemon. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I just feel like we don't get a lot of experience at anime-cons with family cosplays, and I think that the furry con was a very stark contrast to that, and it was yeah. very wholesome. had a good vibe to it. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah, and when, when kids start in, um, interacting with you and they're, like, really appreciative of your cosplay, then that feels a little more special because oh, you're oh you're like this like this magical being or the actual character that they look up to and they're just like, you're, you're my favorite character, you know? Like, you cosplayed a Femme Doctor Strange. Yeah. And kids absolutely love that, right? That they were just, like, in awe of you. Yeah, Ladybug, too. Ladybug mm-hmm. was oh, a big hit with kids and it made me so warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> <laughs> warm and furry inside. <laughs> Not that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. uh, I think like to kind of cap this whole conversation off, it's just that I mean. Not, not that it's any new news, really, but in this context, I think it needs to be reminded more is to not to judge a fandom by its cover. Yeah. You know? There's a lot of times where you can see a cosplay or character or a scene and think of the entire show as that one thing that you've been exposed to and immediately how a lot of things can go with it. Or having one person's opinions make the entirety of what you think of that uh, thing. And uh, that's kind of a general life role that you should always do your due diligence and research and getting opinions about stuff. But especially when it comes to things involving other people, um, especially their passions. I think it's important when it comes to especially negative connotations to make sure that you actually follow up with potentially at least A, more opinions or B, doing some of your own research because mm-hmm. I think that every fandom deserves a chance, you know? Because yeah. um, like we were just saying, even cosplay itself could be considered a controversial fandom depending on what kind of group of people that you go to. So um, I think it's fair that you know, um, just because we've descended to a certain level doesn't mean we still continue to look down on other fandoms as, you know, some sort of hierarchy things of yeah. that nature, you know um, and I have one more thing to Yeah, ask. go for it Alex, if you had a fursona what kind of animal would it be? Oh, oh gosh <laughs> I, so, uh, am I limited to any animals? No, no you can even be a scaly. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, Since you so coined the term. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'd be like a hedgehog or a badger. I'm not sure. Ooh, I think nice. those would be fun. I think Did we see a badger at FurryCon? I don't think so. Yeah. Oh, the FurryCon we went to was called Anthro England, by yeah. the way. <laughs> I was going to say, it was called the FurryCon, but sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, what, what I like about like you know, people choosing their personas is that it's not about like your spirit animal or anything like that. Some people may go with that, but mostly it's about aesthetic. Yeah. You know, uh, that's the cool thing is that there's really no boundaries of what types of colors or patterns that you have on them. Oh, yeah. So it's like when you see someone's persona, you instantly get a vibe of like their aesthetic. And mm-hmm. to me, I love that kind of thing. You know, I yeah. might change mine to a sloth because I can relate to that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Relatable. Mm. <laughs> oh man. Nice. Yeah, and all I can think of is whenever I think of like slots, I can only think of Zootopia now. Mm-hmm. You know, in the DMV. Oh, <laughs> Zootopia yes. and Ice Age—that's it for me. Oh yeah. 
Ice Age, really? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I was the, the sloth? <laughs> I was thinking of like like furry related stuff. I was like, I, I wouldn't put Ice Age up there, you know? <laughs> Could be, yeah. <laughs> well, because I think, you know, when we think like like true furry art is like anthropomorphic being half human, half animal. And I think there's things that don't fit in those categories. Ice Age, those are more just animal characters. They're not really anthropomorphic. And things like sometimes you'll see um, characters in anime that'll have like just Cat ears, ears yeah. or just a uh, tail. That's not furry either. Like there's certain boundaries here. You're you know? telling me Blake isn't a furry? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she can be a furry if she wants to be, but just the fact that she has naturally grown ears does not make her a furry. <laughs> I'm still wondering if she has four ears or only two. <laughs> but I don't know. Wait, do they ever show her ears through her so, hair? I don't think so, but maybe. <laughs> My whole world is <laughs> Think how weird it would look if she didn't have ears right here, you know? Mm. I'm going to do some research now. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us in this wonderful conversation. Thanks for hearing us, even though that you don't have a ton of experience with this. Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I am now considering my life choices. Thank you. Uh, yeah. And uh, make sure that you follow these guys at Strictly Cosplay and at Momomichi Cosplay. Um, and yeah, maybe next time that you see, you know, uh, someone who's got like maybe a fursuit on or from a fandom that you like but are scared to reach out to, especially at a con, maybe say like, hey, nice cosplay and like appreciate it. Don't just think it because I mean, that's great mentality for all cosplay, but especially for people who end up getting a lot of hate, just that one positive interac interaction can go a long way. So, yeah. Thanks for joining us uh, on this episode of Coscast. Make sure that you're checking us out on all our social platforms on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, you can also check out our website at geekkind.tv. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, don't forget that you can watch this podcast on our YouTube channel at Geekkind. And if you're watching this podcast on YouTube, you can take this podcast wherever you go, on anywhere you find podcasts and music, on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and literally just anywhere you find podcasts. Um, and that's all we have for today. Thanks again, Hero Hair, as always, for sponsoring this episode of Coscast. And we'll see you on the next episode. Stay kind, geeks. Hey, guys, this is Gabby Douglas. If you have an active lifestyle like me, hydration is key. That's why I love the Hydration Watermelon Smoothie from Smoothie King. Blended with whole fruits, coconut water, and more electrolytes than some of the leading sports drinks, Hydration Watermelon is the cleaner way to hydrate with no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. So you can recover and perform at your peak ability during the summer heat. Order online or through the app for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Uh, been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. 